This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. And we're recording... Fifty Technologies, Fifty Arguments, Fifty Episodes. After six seasons, we're celebrating with clips from our greatest hits. Get ready for flashbacks. It's Device and Virtue. Well, hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. Coming to you from Chicago, I'm Chris. And I'm Adam, and we are celebrating 50 episodes. We are 50 years old. 50 50 years (laughs) old. 50 episodes old. Not 50 years. We're 50 episodes old. I know. Congratulations, Adam. Congratulations, Chris. Thanks. You have survived 50 episodes with me. With you. All my slow pauses and ums and thinking. Oh, which true we've spent a lot of hours together i know like some podcasts like crank out like i don't know hundreds and hundreds of episodes and maybe 50 isn't very old in in some podcast world but i feel like for us yeah surviving you one yeah absolutely right (laughs) we and we survived covid together we have started a year before covid pretty much 2019 that's true was this a pandemic project no i know we got started before but man we survived a pandemic together and we're still making podcasts this is really good and so we are celebrating by picking favorites (laughs) <laughs> like children. <laughs> Picking our favorite children. <laughs> uh, I know we've gotten a lot of new listeners in the last season or two, which has been awesome. Yes, but thank you. It means you. probably quite a few people just haven't heard some of the older stuff we've done. And so I like this idea of going back and highlighting some favorite moments from our first six seasons. And even if you have heard it, you probably forgot because I'll tell you what, going back and listening to some of these episodes, I was like, did that happen? Did that? I don't remember that. It's fun to have a whole little recorded archive of, of your life and thought. Some of it is not that impressive, you know? It really, we've, we've gotten better. We've gotten punchier. We don't talk about some of the same things at the beginning of the episodes that we used to. Oh gosh. Yeah. We learned really quickly that you can bore the heck out of people at the beginning of <laughs> episode including ourselves like like we're probably doing now (laughs) like we're probably doing right now but no i love it we're gonna go back and play clips and then maybe chat a little bit about them whether just sort of what was happening with that episode but also whether we have newer thoughts Mm -hmm. i mean when we started this out you know you you and i both have these master's degrees in theology and technology but you were doing it at the at the big right at the beginning i was in the middle of it right university of durham and stuff so you just got smarter over time I, I, th- I really hope so. <laughs> so, you know, maybe their thoughts have evolved or even the world's evolved. Like we weren't talking about TikTok back in the beginning because it didn't exist, we at least didn't not even in our know. world. We didn't so, know the great blessing that TikTok we would be We were just still doing Facebook. And, yeah. <laughs> so, so much for you to do. But before we do, we got to talk about the other new thing we're launching. Yes. This season, season seven, we are launching Patreon. It is a platform where you can support us and other creators but in this case, it's us. Please support us <laughs> yeah, yeah. as we continue for another seven seasons. I mean, I love this. You know, we, I think folks know this, but we don't make money off the podcast. We do not make money <laughs> off the podcast. This is mostly a passion project for each of us. You know, we're just two friends that started out doing this. I think a lot of reason why both you and I did this is we'd see a lot of churches or Christians that weren't 
doing a good job of thinking about technology, and I don't right. think we thought we were a whole lot better, <laughs> but it was too casual, and people were sort of missing big points. You no, know, there are people that know a lot about technology and write about it, and a lot of Christians or pastors weren't reading those people, and they weren't thinking about how does this really affect us, and so we got into the rights and wrongs of technology and faith, and it's not just sort of a tech geek issue. It's not just sort of a nerd issue or a computer programmer issue turned out to be like you know iphones and dating apps and all this is like is everybody's life right we're all wrestling with it every day honestly we would get into conversations with friends and they had strong opinions yeah and so we have been doing this for 50 episodes and now we're asking for you to join with us in making this mission happen helping people in their tech saturated lives navigate what's happening. I like how we wrote it on the site. We said, navigating the beauty and brokenness of our tech-saturated world. Because it totally is. There's beautiful things, there's broken things, and people want to fall on one side or the other, and we're trying to navigate sort of that middle way. But for you, if you are willing to support us, there are... Oh, for the listener. Got it. Yes. (laughs) Dear listener. If you do want to support us, there are perks and benefits that you can check out on our Patreon page some content bonuses. Right. And those are really just thank yous we'd be yeah. throwing in for people just sort of joining the team and wanting to make this happen. Right. Because it's the 50 episodes, we really are looking for a goal of 50 people. Right. And so would you be one of those 50 people that really helps us launch to the next season? We know there's so much more to engage. Right. And we have some offers that are limited time. Yeah, yeah. We have a launch offer. So go check it out. Because yeah. if you get in early, you get that. Yep. You can find it on deviceandvirtue.com or at patreon.com slash device and virtue, or you can check it out in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, you should be able to link to it just from the podcast episodes. And of course, on Twitter or Instagram, we're posting there too, so you can find it. So thanks for listening to our our pitch. (laughs) Yes, our spiel. And now let's jump into our handful of episodes from the past. Chris, you picked a few episodes. I picked a few episodes. We're going to go toe-to-toe on whose episodes are better. <laughs> we did, no, we not did. really. <laughs> well, that's the way we would normally do it. <laughs> We're like, let's pick some favorite moments and fight about them. <laughs> yes. that's no. no, not really. But we also wanted to kind of go deep into the backlist yeah. for some episodes that have not seen the light of day in our own minds for quite a while. Sure. But you went all the way back to season one, the original. The OG. With this first selection. Tell us about it. Yeah, the fourth episode we did, which, by the way, you know, was in my dining room. Well, let's be honest. We're still in my dining room. (laughs) Not a lot of evolution in that side. (laughs) But the fourth episode we did was when we were just figuring it out. Remember we started the podcast when we did our first episode by saying, hey, should we do a podcast today? (laughs) Well, we had been talking about it forever. We're like, what if we did it on this Saturday? And I was like, what do we need? Microphones? Right. And I was like, wait, I can order these on Amazon Prime now, which was the Amazon delivery same day service. And so they delivered microphones. <laughs> and you drove to my house. We opened up the new boxes, plugged them into a laptop, and tried. And eight hours later, we had an episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I literally think we spent eight hours. That was such a long day. We had no idea you have to plan before you before you start talking. So this was our fourth episode. It's still shaky. If you go back and listen to the original, uh, you'll realize that I punched this one up a little bit. A, l- yeah, a little bit yeah. of a fresher edit. But we're still a little bit awkward. So I like the awkwardness at the beginning. <laughs> also, listen for a different tagline. Our grandparents met because they lived in the same neighborhood. Today we meet because we're on the same app. From dating scenes to dating screens, this is Device and Virtue. Well, hello. It is the Device and Virtue podcast. Christian thinking about technology and the church 
And today we are talking about Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance, The Comedian Guy, but it's a lot about technology. And I am Chris. I am here with Adam from Chicago. Adam, how's it going? It's going well. It is great to be back and talking about Aziz Ansari today. Seriously. I'm excited. And it is summer in Chicago. It's feeling good. Feels It always feels good, summer in Chicago. It's you know, a different this, place. This garden, our, our studio, we're going to call it our studio window. Okay. Yes. Okay, our studio window, this garden out here is pretty great. There's a swan out there. There's a statue of a swan. Is that a swan? Yeah, maybe a white swan. Because I want to admit that I have... Maybe it's a white goose. It's a goose, I think. It's maybe. definitely a goose. And the thing about the goose is that it has no head. <laughs> the head ha- is definitely not on the body. So and we- then there's Mardi Gras beads around the <laughs> neck of the <laughs> there, there goose. Are, there are Mardi Gras beads. So we have a headless Mardi Gras duck guarding the garden outside our studio. So that should really our, frame This is in our neighbor's yard. <laughs> it's true. Oh, man. That's not a good way to start, but I think we should. <laughs> we should talk about the book. Aziz Ansari, Modern Romance. He got together with an NYU sociology professor. And they spent like two years researching for this book about romance in the digital age where he goes back and he, he goes to this old people's home. and Yeah, this was cool. And he's just like asking them about their marriages. And a lot of these people grew up in the 1930s and 40s and they were talking about how they met their mates and they lived within blocks of each other or miles of each other or like in the same apartment building right like like yeah it's crazy yeah so like they would meet someone and it was very geographically oriented right they just met someone nearby and got married this guy's nearby yeah it'll work out yeah six six months later they're married and how foreign that is to us today. Like today, Absolutely. you might be dating somebody across the country. You're online. The geographic component has changed a lot. And so texting has really changed the ability for that. And especially in relationships, a lot of times people will meet up at a party and then, you know, later, like, you know, he texts her and like, hey, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's real common. And suddenly you're starting a more private conversation. No one else is listening Mm -hmm. is what I mean. Yeah. You know, people talk about the internet being public. The real story about the internet is the privacy is being more private. They're starting a private conversation. It's unusual the way compared to where our culture has been. You can start a private conversation very quickly earlier in a relationship than it would have been. Yeah. And so now suddenly I have that privacy breeds intimacy. You know, I used to be a campus minister and used to give advice to couples and like, um, we used to call it elevator dating. If you put any two people in an elevator and the elevator sort of stops suddenly, <laughs> right? Like, and you're caught in this elevator and a guy and a girl and they're uh-huh. stuck there for four hours trapped uh-huh. together. They're like, the classic story is they'll fall in love by the end of it because like they, they were yeah. trapped in a situation together and it was very private and they might yeah. not even have known each other, but spending that time together, it's, those privacy really creates feelings. Yeah. It's like Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and okay. speed. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's exactly the cultural that's reference exactly I was not That's exactly where I was going for. Well, but it also goes back to the beginning of the book where Aziz is in the retirement home and those people are stuck with each other in the same apartment building or in the, in the same geography. Like that geography still matters. Yeah. But the internet has created a new geography, a new landscape. Absolutely. What do you think? <laughs> oh, my word. We're so good. We're talking about oh, ducks. Man. Yeah, a bird of some kind that we couldn't figure quite out. A studio window like we're trying to be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I'm still proud of that Keanu Reeves reference. I'll be honest. <laughs> Speed. Did you notice the old tagline, which was something about the church? Christian thinking about technology in the church. Yes. <laughs> Why well, we started with that? I mean, it's still sort of true, but we've made it a little more general, a little less specific to the church. I think we were thinking about the world from an ethical and a Christian worldview. It wasn't, yeah, specifically about the church in that way. It wasn't quite right. And Christian thinking, I'm I'm not sure. Christian thinking, and then we introduce Aziz Ansari. Definitely not Christian thinking. Definitely not a Christian. But you're welcome anytime, Aziz. Anytime you want (laughs) to come to church, we will have you. You know, dating in the COVID era is intensified, right? Like, oh, uh, yeah. They're, Cause you're talking about how the internet remaps the geography of, and, new, and it intensifies a lot of the right. relational dynamics. A lot of people started relationships during COVID, but they became intensified because you were like, are you in my bubble? Because right. that's how we're going to connect. And, right. and suddenly everybody's in an elevator with each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And, yeah, and yeah. I wonder how many relationships may not have happened before COVID because we were a little more selective or a little less in those sort of elevator condensed geographic experience. You know, in later episodes, I know we've mentioned about dating apps. I'm not sure I totally agree with, you know, I was talking about the elevator principle and we're talking about it compared to our grandparents. You spend time with people on the block. Later, maybe you could do it on text. Now, you know, when I think about dating apps, it's almost like being in a room with speed dating, you know, huh. like you move from person to person. Yeah. The analogy would only work like a little bit later in that process. It doesn't start out that way. You're not trapped with one person in an elevator. You're trapped with 200 people. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about it feeling sort of really impersonal and really sort of commodified. Yeah. And so, yeah, there'd be things to improve on that analysis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should go back and do more on that kind of stuff. I think the Anzis Ansari book, I still think was a great cultural moment book. And I was at a used bookstore recently. It was shelved in the humor section. Yeah, I mean, it's it's humor, but it's way more it's than It's funny, that. but it's cultural and, analysis. Yeah, and I yeah. still think it's probably one of the best books out there right now on dating in the digital age. Okay, man, hit me up with a favorite moment. All right. So this was a couple seasons later, and this one was actually, I, I was a little nervous when we did this episode because it was about guns and gun violence. Oh, it I was, know what you're talking about. It was shortly after the George Floyd killing, and we got to talking about how guns played a role in that or didn't play a role. And what, We it, called it what? We called it force for good, question mark. Yeah. Force for good? So here we're just jumping into the middle of the conversation where we're tackling that really popular phrase, guns don't kill people, people kill people. To be honest, I think a lot of people are going to be thinking, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And the first time I heard that moving to the Midwest, I was like, oh, that's a pretty effective argument. It is. A gun just laying on a table isn't doing anything. Yeah, and it, but it sort of creates this impasse that I think people have in how they think about, oh, yeah, it kind of is that side, but it's also this other side. And all right, so go with me here for a second. Okay. It's really cold outside, and so I'm going to put on a coat before I go outside. And the coat affords me the opportunity then to go outside and stay warm for longer. So I can spend more time outside. I can go skiing. I can go for a nice long walk. I can throw snowballs. Right. All these things. Right. So it's no longer just me by myself out in the cold. It's me with a coat outside in the cold. Yeah. So me without the coat spends 
two minutes outside. Me with the coat spends two hours outside. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So it's this idea that... It gives you an affordance. You said the word afford, and I know that's a technical term that we'll use, an affordance to do something. Right. So it's not the coat that's keeping me warm, and it's not just me that's keeping me warm. Uh It's actually the two things together that are keeping me warm. I I suddenly become Oh, you mean there's not an electric heater in the coat? Oh, no, it's your body heat working together with a coat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I become not just a man, I become a coat man. And I want to think about... I'm going to call you that. I want to think about guns in the same way because we have a term in English called gun man. Fascinating. And so when we talk about guns don't kill people, people kill people, well, we can't actually say that. We have to say that gunmen kill people. Yeah. And it's the combination. It's the hybrid of the gun and the man as the cyborg coming together and they're assembled and that assembly is what affords the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. A person plus the technology equals more than just the person sitting there or the technology sitting there. Right. Now, you might say, well, Cain killed Abel in the field with his bare hands or with a rock or whatever. Maybe he was rock man. Who knows? (laughs) But the reality is the violence that Cain had to do to Abel, he had to work a lot harder. And it's a lot easier. And because it's easier, it's more convenient and more likely. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. With a gun. Right. And right. so, yes, people are involved, but so is the gun. And right. it's not just one or the other. It's both together as a hybrid. Right. The right. gun man. Right. Right. Oh, it's the coat man, gun man clip. <laughs> I mean, that's solid. Right. And I think that's a core concept about mm-hmm. technology and people interaction that we probably should keep coming back to. Yeah. Yeah, it's one I, I've even had this conversation since that episode and I've forgotten about my coat man analogy. Oh yeah. I picked up the gun man hybrid concept from a book called Moralizing Technology by a guy named Peter Paul Verbeek. But you know, I was trying to think how do we get it out of this really vitriolic, high intense language and how do we talk about something that feels much more banal? Yeah. You know, and yeah. coat man just seemed to work. But yeah, we hear that that conversation, guns don't kill people, and we just can't say that. It's the it's the both and. And really that kind of thinking about technology, it's a falsity that gets repeated a lot and we it applies all over the place. I mean, when we yeah. talk about digital surveillance concerns, for example, like on the tollways in Chicagoland, you know, you used to have to pull up and pay cash, yeah. and now they have little scanners later in your car where you can sort of drive through, way right. more convenient, way more efficient. But then they started realizing that they could measure how fast you're going by measuring where those little (laughs) scanners are. Right. They haven't done this yet, but there would be an outcry if they started issuing speeding tickets. Yeah, right. To everybody. Right. Because they could do it in one fell swoop. A computer could issue, you know, know, 20,000 speeding tickets all at once, you know, just using that technology. And people wouldn't like that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The technology creates a leverage, an ease of use, a, a leverage that allows sort of one person with a button to do things that one person didn't used to be able to do. And those natural limitations were ways we are used to interacting with the world. Yeah. And so you're using that same stuff with the gun. Like right. the gun violence, we're both going to agree, exists partly because of guns. It's yes. the guns and people because of that leverage. Yes. There's violence in the human heart, but there's also the ease with which that violence is, it's acted upon. But we can do it with so many other things. I'm sitting in a chair. I can be chairman. I have a smartphone. I can be smartphone man. <laughs> right, right, right. Like all of these things 
what are the affordances? What are the abilities? What do they make easier and so more likely to do? And you can do it with all sorts of things. Just add man or woman to the end of it. Yeah, right. All right, Chris, let's keep going. I'm, I'm liking this. What's, what's up next? This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. Yeah, here's another favorite moment. Uh, I picked the episode where we interviewed our sisters. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun episode. Which was our first guest we'd ever had on the podcast. Yeah. We would just start out with doing the conversation format. And then later, of course, in the last few seasons, we've been doing interviews and conversation. And we, we sort of like to blend. But this is the first time we did this. It was also like the topic was one we had kept on getting about screen time. Yeah. And also it was one of the uh, hardest to edit. So because <laughs> we cut together tons of different interviews and clips and it took us forever. <laughs> and I'm really proud of it. So take a listen. I bet you'll like this trip down the memory lane there. My kids are digital natives on a level that I will never be. They're going <laughs> to teach me about how to use technology coming forward. You know, our kids have the potential to be bombarded 24-7 by an outside influence right. that they can't get away from. The short answer is no, I don't have any place that I've found that I can go for advice mm. on technology and kids. When I hear the word screen time, I feel like a failure. <laughs> really? Yeah. Chris, we are talking about technology and parenting and devices and kids raising your kids with all these devices chris how many kids do you have i have no kids adam how many kids do you have i also have no kids this is gonna be a great episode this is gonna get interesting (laughs) we have so many people that listen to the podcast that have said when are you guys gonna talk about kids and technology because it's everywhere yeah it is everywhere and parenting is like such a big topic around this question and you read all these theology books and i read all these (laughs) technology books and we looked for kids and didn't find them anywhere. Yeah, there were no kids in any of the books. <laughs> no pictures. <laughs> so we realized if we we're going to talk about this topic, which is a really good idea, yeah, we might need to do something new. Yeah, we needed to pull in some heavy heavy lifting. I think you mean heavy hitters. Yeah, yes. Heavy hitters <laughs> is what I mean. It's our first guests ever. Take a listen. After school, the kids get home a little bit before four. 
they have from four till six o'clock when we have dinner uh-huh. where they just have free time. That okay. goes, like all the kids. Yeah. And they typically spend part of that time on a device and part of that time not. If I notice that a kid's been on a device, you know, long enough, I'll just say, okay, you've got five more minutes or I'll go see what they're watching and say, okay, you can finish that and then you're done. So we're kind of organic. (laughs) Is that a good word for it? Yeah. Also, we have an end time at night for our 13 year old. Okay. We're really strict about him turning in his phone at 830. Okay. He's not like on his phone till yeah. eight thirty, but he's allowed to have it on his person, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, um, until eight thirty, and then he turns it into us, and he's never allowed to have it overnight. So his okay. bedtime is nine o'clock on school night. Yeah, so he has no screen time, at least a half hour before bed, which I think they say really it should be an hour, but you know what, half hour is good. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes it's, good enough is good. Yeah, enough. the struggles that I see that we talk about is how to limit our use of technology in front of our kids. Cause I think we're all aware that we can kind of bury ourselves in our technology, especially getting home from work. You're tired. The kids jump on top of you and it's tempting to just watch a show with them or play a game or be like, I don't know, catch up on your sports clips. My husband's going to hate me for that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, my husband and I have both been convicted and we hear this among other parents as well, that we are trying to monitor ourselves in our use of tech in front of kids. Yeah. So it sets an example. Yeah. Yeah. Erica's really spot on. I think she recognizes that parenting with kids on devices doesn't just mean managing what the kids are doing. It's managing what the parents are doing. Yeah, it's um, hard. I think It's really hard. And I think she recognizes that difficulty. Like we have to think about what we're doing and how, and the example we're setting, what the kids are seeing us doing. I can pair that observation back to what your sister was saying about how like her son has the ability to manage his emotions or be vulnerable online instead of coming to a parent. Yeah. I think that could be a little scary. And then at the same time, I think there's nothing that's going to replace her influence in his life because he's also watching her and her husband, how they manage conflict, say, or how they love, use loving words or instruct. And that modeling is is going to shape how he works in the world. Caught, not taught, as they say. And it seems to work around technology as well. Man, your sister Erica and my sister Laura, they were just so charming for this episode. <laughs> this is so good, right? <laughs> I think this is still one of my favorite episodes. I want to go listen to the whole thing now. If they had a podcast together, I It'd think more people would listen to it than they listen to us. Fun fact, they still have never met in person. Right, yeah. <laughs> she lives in D.C. and your sister lives in, in Chicago. Oh, land. man. I, I was just with my nephews this last weekend and learned that one thing from my sister, like okay, five more minutes of screen time, like giving them the five minute warning is huge. That's like the buffer <laughs> yeah, yeah. to a meltdown, yeah. right? <laughs> right, right, right. You're preventing so many <laughs> things from like happening. uncle's like, I was learning. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've learned small things, small things. I think the big thing that I got out of this clip really applies a lot to other things, not just parenting. Like Erica going off about how much the parental example and really mm-hmm. your situation mm-hmm. that matters like and and that what they're modeling is totally. is what their kids are doing totally. and it got me actually thinking as a further thought and we probably could think about this in the future about how we peer model for each other 
Yeah. Like sort of what's normal when you sit around the table and are we all looking at Instagram for a minute yeah. or uh, or walking down the street with earbuds in. Yeah. Like right. that's totally become normative, right? Right. We do this modeling for each other and that sort of changes the normals of how we interact with tech. And we're all a little bit like kids with it because some of these techs are, are new. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't doing that 10 years ago. We're doing it now. And so the, I think that modeling aspect of it is important for us to keep thinking about. I think my sister would still say screen time. She feels like a failure. And I think parents in general, there's a lot of dialogue around this and there's a lot of idealism, but it's easy to see other parents on Instagram doing blah, 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 parental advice on TikTok. And you're like, oh man, I'm just a terrible parent. Right. But honestly, like I think most parents are feeling that way and you don't get to see that. You talk about norms that you can see, but there are a lot of norms that you don't get to see. Yeah. And the reality is like, if you're trying and you're talking to your kids and you're trying to make make it happen and you're doing small things, I think that's a win no matter what. Okay, okay. So what's another one of your faves? (laughs) Chris, this jumps back to season two, one that we've referenced a number of times, evangelism chatbots. And I oh, chose evangelism chatbots. when we, when we said we were going to maybe do a, a flashback episode, this was immediately the moment that came to mind. Oh, really? Me. Okay. Yeah. And specifically there's a reaction in here from you that I uh, really covet. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm going to, I'll try and set it up. So we were talking just before this clip about evangelism chatbots being the successor to like these tracts, you know, like these printed tracts that are doing evangelism right, and giving right, you right. the four spiritual laws and blah, blah, blah. And sort of this apologetics approach of trying to convince you. And, and you're like, well, but I don't think the gospel is like the four spiritual laws. I think it's a person. Right. And, and so we talked about that for a little bit and how do you experience Jesus personally with an AI chat bot? And you're like, but because the church is this body of, of Christ, this representation. And I don't know how the evangelism chat bot can do that. And so that's where we jump in here. Take a listen. But let me continue to push back a little bit on this. I like what you're saying about the body of Christ and the idea that Jesus shapes the people of God into the church. And so the the church is sort of this collective body of people. And I'm also thinking about the Bible as this, go with me here, as this chatbot, <laughs> as this body of... The Bible is chatbot. Wow. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, go, with you. Yeah, I'm going. Go going. Going. The Bible is this chatbot that this group of people put together in a community of people that were listening and sensitive to the spirit of God, were listening and talking to each other about how God's spirit was interacting with them and together was developing this understanding of who God is and how he is in the world. And together were writing it down and were then being shaped by what they had written down in the same way then that you and your team were working with Ruben to understand the questions that were going on, to really unpack and think about how these are categorized and to go back and essentially like understand that content as forming the people who are interacting with it in the same way that the church interacts with the Bible and is formed by it, but also forms it in some way. Like the people of Israel and then the early church, they all formed that in community together with one another, they sort of did artificial intelligence before it was a thing. 
<laughs> they created the chatbot that is the Bible, and now we interact with Scripture and allow it to form us and inform us. Yeah, this goes. Oh gosh, Adam, you yeah, because it sounds like you might be convincing <laughs> me a little bit because you sounds like you're going back to that study that you were just talking about earlier from Stanford, which is like what was going on <laughs> in people was that like they were changing is they interacting, and so it's not that there was no humans involved. But the human involved was the human that was interacting. And like, so I can see me reading the text, which is a product of God's inspiration with humans. Mm -hmm. But really what's happening when I'm reading, I mean, I'm reading the Bible a lot every morning and usually I'm interacting with it, but it's often what's going on in me. Yeah. Dang it. It's also a product that's come out of people encountering God, encountering Jesus and writing it down and gathering it together and talking about it and being shaped by it and discerning the canonicity of it even, you know, but, but doing that jointly together. Yeah. If we think about the church across the world and through all time, like all the amazing Christians that have been around and all the theologians that have written all these amazing things, like, I mean, the, the evangelical church I grew up in really wasn't aware of a lot of those things. And so we had just a little bit of evangelism. But if you have all the church fathers and mothers and all the writings, like we get a lot of wisdom there, right, about what it means to love God or know God or even become a Christian. And it it just strikes me that you could download all that wisdom, like the church fathers, just like I was downloading. We downloaded 20,000 questions from God questions and put that into an AI chatbot and actually like be discussing with the history of the church everything about God. Right. So that that makes me ask the question is, is got question sufficient? Does that AI need, does it need scripture? Does it need the early church? Does it need the medieval church? Does it need the church of the Reformation? Does it need the church throughout history to be brought into that conversation? And does this AI chatbot need to be have an encyclopedic understanding that's tagged? I mean, what would that look like? I... <laughs> I, you know, like I want to interact with a Catholic perspective on this, or I want to interact with a Protestant perspective on this, or I want to interact with a African perspective on this. Like, what? And, and we need all that, that look I think, like? to, huh? So we're at 31 minutes, <clears throat> and I actually think this was good, and you surprised me there. I um, surprised myself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I love that was a bonus little clip right at the end, right? Because that probably didn't <laughs> yeah. make it to the final episode. Right, right. So, like sometimes when we record, we we stop and check how long has the timer been <laughs> how going? How long have we been talking about <laughs> yeah. the same thing? <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, you surprised me there, which we probably should have just left in there. But so you liked my reaction. I, I my favorite moment of like all of our seasons probably is that moment where you're like, oh gosh, Adam. <laughs> Because it was just like so out of the blue. I also really liked it because we had essentially switched roles in this moment. You're very opposed to the idea of chatbots in in this case. Yeah, yeah. Or, or skeptical about it and saying like, I don't know if this can happen. And here I come in with sort of the pro, let's do this. Yeah, that's thing. true. Right, right, and, right. And I convinced you a little bit. Like in the moment, you witnessed it happening. That was just an especially memorable one for me. But honestly, I've learned a lot more about chatbots since then, and they cannot do that. (laughs) At this stage, they are not advanced enough to do that. There's so much 
advancement that still has to happen in order to make that idea possible, if it could ever reach that. I don't know. but There is a new language machine learning algorithm called GPT-3. Yeah. That, yeah. That's like gotten a lot of press. And even, even this month, there's new stuff out, right? Yeah. And, and they have a new image-based version of where you... Right. Did you see this? I think I said it to you recently. I've heard Where like, you can describe an image... And it will Photoshop it for you. So It'll create the image. I want an orange cat climbing up a tree, and it just makes an image. <laughs> and, and multiple like, different versions. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. And it's like almost creepy level. So it's it composing. Really it's both language processing and sort of image and creation. Computer vision, yeah. But you're right. I was suggesting we could download sort of all of the church writings and scripture together and sort of compile an answer as a bot yeah, of some kind. Yeah. And I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there. Maybe someday. It could be really interesting, but... The AI is not going to take over the world anytime soon. Us, on the other hand, we're trying. We're trying. (laughs) We're really trying. (laughs) All right, Chris, hit us with the next flashback. So not that long ago, season five, we talked about the vaccine. The mRNA vaccine. And I liked that episode a lot because we did some research on the history of the vaccine. Yeah, that was a really... And we learned a lot about how science comes together. You know, it really was like 20 or 30 years of different research pieces. Yeah. Right? But then there was the specific story of the woman that found some of the early research. Yeah, Katie Carico. Right. Fantastic so, story. And so, you know, all these things. And later there was all these good stories in other magazines about it. But one little segment we did, we just started talking about why people are afraid of certain technologies, not just vaccines, like just sort of yeah, in general. We were thinking about it. And so this is the conversation I wanted to pick up. One of the interesting things about this conversation is I don't think we had a plan for this part of the conversation. So we were definitely working things out as we go. And like we, we, you know, that doesn't always work, but we did okay in this one. At least we asked the questions and I think we know we don't have all the answers. So Mm -hmm. uh, see what you think. Okay, Adam, here's what I wanted to bring up. When new technologies sort of sweep across a society one of the things that happens is a distrust or a fear reaction, at least from some people sometimes, yeah. right? We're seeing this with a vaccine some. We're seeing some people go, I don't know about that. That looks pretty crazy or it's really fast. Or I've not heard of this mRNA thing. Yeah. Did they really test this? Is it safe? And there are lots of reasons why, and we can break it down. But why do technologies lead to distrust or fear reactions sometimes? And like, can you think of ones that have and you haven't? Well, the first one that comes to mind is, you know, there's this term Luddites, right? People who are like really (laughs) anti-technology. And that comes from the early 1800s in England where people who were ostensibly following this kind of made up figure called Ned Ludd. And yes, yes. But but there there were weaving looms taking over the weaving industry and there were harvesting machines automating some of the harvesting in in the agricultural industry and people were smashing these looms burning these machines and they saw their livelihoods being threatened and so they had this you know very strong reaction and they they were they were luddites they were opposed <laughs> to right. and you know that has been picked up for anyone who's opposed to technology in any way you know they get labeled a luddite and kind of get blown off for that reason alone. And it feels like an insult for that. Yeah, it's an insult. Like you're you're backward, you're you're not forward thinking, you're right. not innovative. You know, but I mean people have been afraid of television 
for a long time, we were really excited about social media. Now everybody's scared of it. So yeah, I mean, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's, then you think about something like the shovel, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Was there ever a time where people were like, shovels are going to take our jobs, burn all the shovels. Let's, you know, we shouldn't be using these. They're, they're hurting our society. Maybe, maybe that was in prehistory. I don't know. I just think it's a fascinating experiment, a mental experiment to think about which technologies has have societies just sort of let wash over them without like a whole lot of second thoughts. I mean, even the Internet, I feel like AOL and email and stuff, we were all just sort of excited <laughs> about. You do get thinkers in every society that sort of think about it and go, is this good? But is it fair for me to contrast like the masses versus like <laughs> the thinkers? The bourgeoisie. You know? I mean... <laughs> Like we're teaching on the history of technology recently, and I sometimes talk about pastors that have preached on the evils of like the paperback book, for instance. Paperback books were seen by some pastors as potentially bringing mm-hmm. deceit to society. I mean, even your Socrates example of writing, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's the old example, of course, of Socrates talking about the Egyptian gods saying, if we learn the technology of writing, we're all going to become really forgetful because we won't just use our memory, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'll mess with us. So the question kind of is what about a technology brings up fear versus another that just brings up enthusiasm and general adoption i mean i have theories barely though i mean let's just talk this out (laughs) one thing is like medical technologies do feel different than like an entertainment technology for Mm -hmm. instance like an ipad it doesn't feel like it can hurt me maybe you and i like to talk about the invisible effects of technology you know like how screens or other things can, like have a slow effect that we don't notice. Mm-hmm. Whereas it feels like if I'm getting a shot, like, let's just be honest, don't like needles. Obviously, it's a little bit irrational. But I wonder, are people scared of, maybe there's some people that are just like me and just like, I don't like them. The medical things feel super weirder and different than other technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. I wonder if part of the fear has to do with a sense of sweeping societal changes hmm. as opposed to just personal ones i mean the vaccine or the television or the weaving loom or even like autonomous robots that they're going to have this sweeping effect across our society that we can't control it's beyond our control i think you and i think about these sweeping technologies that have invisible effects but i'm wondering actually it's the opposite people get frightened if they see a personal effect only like the needle, the virus could make me sick. Or, you know, I don't know what that, mm-hmm. what's in that right. vaccine. So, right. that, like, right. what, what will it do to me? Some people just might think it makes it sick. On the more conspiracy theory side, people might think, like, I heard read online there was a government tracker in that. I think that's clearly, <laughs> you know, untrue. But either way, they're noticing a personal violation or fear, or like Alexa in a home. Think yeah. about that. We've yeah. talked about yeah. this before. Having like Alexa's oh, tracking microphones me. and people. I think most people, if they're having a negative reaction, are just worried about it's affecting them. Like, what if someone is listening to me? I would say it's actually the combination of the two. I'm thinking the way you're describing it, I'm thinking about it as like it's the black box theory. Like, if I don't understand what's going on inside of that, I feel more concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a mystery to me what's going on in there. So the vaccine might be a black box to people like, I do not know what's happening in there. I don't want that to come too close. On the other hand, I think of like, I don't know, the PlayStation 5 is just 
coming out and that's uh-huh. a black box to me i have no idea how that magically makes amazing graphics in like shoot 'em up games however <laughs> like no one seems to care about that they're like get that in my house as fast as i can pre-order <laughs> that guy and i'm gonna put that on the tv and play right so my black box theory i think is like false like it does it's not actually the reason but there people was a- seem fine with the black box if it entertains them <laughs> Thanks for grabbing that clip. It was really interesting to listen to it again because we really were thinking out loud. It was not pre-scripted, pre-planned sort of. Yeah, we keep notes, right, for every episode. We actually do a Google Doc, very, very (laughs) high-tech, and like put little segments down and sort of the different, we make a little list of topics we want to talk around the thing and then sort of go through them. Yeah. But I think this is where we were just really wandering off on the fear piece. Wrestle this out, think it out, look at both sides. You know, listening to it now, the thread I see is one of control and power. Yeah, And when you don't feel like you have control, when you don't feel like you have power, when you feel like you're being subjected to somebody else, right. that's where that fear comes in, whether it's societal or personal. Right. When I feel that in some way, that's when people start to get scared. That's probably right, because if you think about individual harm versus societal harm, but individual harm like um, driverless cars, people are worried yeah. if they don't have a uh, if they don't have a control wheel. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. But if they do, they feel they feel better. And so yeah, I think you're right. It's about the, do I have control? Mm-hmm. You could almost see that as placating because give them a joystick and they won't notice everything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at Disney World, when we were kids, there was some ride in Disney World that there was everyone had a joystick in front of them or a little like steering wheel in front of them while the (laughs) roller coaster goes, you know, like, and, uh, and that might be a good analogy for the way technology is today. And I think I definitely resonate with, you even mentioned black boxes. The better I understand a technology, the more control I feel I have, the safer I feel, the less fear I feel in general. This is why you're usually a scaredy cat because you didn't know what the heck was going on. (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's so true. Uh, and, and I've heard there's research that people who are happy with their technology are happy because they are the ones in the driver's seat with yeah, it. Yeah. They're not just getting swept along with every wind of technology. They're actually able to take action. And I've told this to you and you're, and you're like, yep, I'm happy with my technology because you, you yeah. do approach your technology in that way where you're like if i don't understand it i'm gonna understand it before i use it yeah yeah in a lot of ways right. that's your sort of mo right. and mine's just like oh what's happening i don't understand <laughs> you know and, and i forget about how much you know like even my parents you know like like a lot of parents i get to help them with yeah you know whatever it's like it used to be programming your it support. in the 80s right but, <laughs> but it support and that kind of stuff and um, of course both my parents are super smart they have multiple master's degrees um, but they don't always understand what's happening on their computer yeah and I sort of forget that I've got 20 plus years of layered experience there. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, started off like I was doing computer uh, consulting in college. And then like I started Microsoft consulting out yeah. of school. Yeah. And that adds up, you know, like people that you talk to about sports, like if you really talked about Cubs fans, the <laughs> right. really crazy Cubs fans, they don't just know what happened this year. They know what happened for the last 30 years. And that's right. what gives them the depth of knowledge. <laughs> right. And like they don't, they couldn't go just go to a master's degree on it now. They just have, they just knew it every year. And now yeah. it's like a long yeah. time. And that's what I've got with the tech. So like I get what's happening because I got what happened before. Right. And I I realize that's a hard level of experience to replace. And maybe Mm -hmm. that is why I'm an optimist. Okay. This is pretty fun. You got one more. One 
more favorite? One more. I got one more in me. This one I liked because it picks up on the invisible societal sweeping changes of otherwise banal technology that we don't really think about. It has to do with timekeeping. Ah, we did this ah. at New Year's. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Counting down the New Year? Yeah. That's techie. I remember that title for some reason. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but we thought it was a good title. <laughs> yes. This one is about yeah time. It's about time. It's about time we do this one. It's about time we do this, yeah. Then there's sundials, of course, and that marks time with the sun. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of water clocks, and there's all these sort of crazy things. But the church gets really involved with praying around the sun. Right. Well, I guess before the church, we should talk about the Old Testament, right? Because Jews pray around the sun. You know, there's prayers in the morning. And then prayers like in the afternoon and the evening. It's in the Bible. In the book of Acts, you have Peter and who else? Peter and James. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They're going to the they're going to the synagogue to pray. Yeah, yeah, and it says they're going like at the ninth hour, mm-hmm. and that's talking about the hour during the day when you would go to pray. You would well, pray regularly, yeah. like at, at certain times of day where the sun and was. Jesus is crucified at the third hour. Yes, right, right, right. And so this regular prayer gets picked up by you know as Christians come on the scene, gets picked up by the church. There's a monk, you know, that's pretty really really famous, Benedict, who came up with the Benedictine monks, which are still around today. If you've ever gone to like a monastery and heard the monks singing, you know, their prayers, they do it at certain times of day, right? There's these old school Latin terms for this now. Yeah, like and, matins yes. and vespers. Yes, right. Yeah, like vespers is like evening prayer. Matins is, yeah. is that like morning prayer. It's yeah, where we get the word matinee, right? Ooh, I did not know that. Well, I mean, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, so like we, we would pray the where the sun was got really linked to when you prayed. Yeah, this has always been how the yeah. church thought about and, that. And see, that's what I'm saying. This this sacred notion of time has us in rhythm, in sync with the way that the universe is structured, and the moon and the sun and the stars and the and the planets are all, you know, kind of in this this dance and we are praying in in sort of concert we're dancing <laughs> that's why i love Sounds dancing so at new year's uh... i'm i just figured it out i'm like i'm like dancing in adam is dancing into the rhythm in, of the universe in, in the rhythm <laughs> of the universe this is so exciting so i feel like you're seeing together. this as a very spiritual thing and everyone was praying together but let's be honest the church actually started getting really ornery around where time was and working because you mentioned earlier that part of the church doesn't celebrate easter at the same date as yeah. other parts of the church yeah. and that's true the eastern church calculates easter differently yeah and when you start talking about calculating dates this started becoming a thing in the church so there's different holidays like easter or christmas Mm -hmm. but they would mark them either on the sun but there were also there was lunar calendars out there and where are you going to combine these and theologians start writing as the time goes on (laughs) towards the 1300s start writing more and more papers um, about when a holiday should be what did they call these Computus. Yeah, that's right. You computus. keep forgetting this word. I did. It's computus. I don't know how you keep forgetting this word. It's really similar to another word that's familiar to most of us. Oh, computer. <laughs> I'm glad you. Okay, here's, here's the thing. The church year sort of was arranged to imitate the life of Jesus. And hmm, so mm-hmm. you've got Advent where we're leading up to the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is around the turn from from darkness to light, yeah. right, at the winter solstice. And it moves us then into Easter, 
the the death and resurrection of of Jesus and, mm-hmm. and then on to ascension and then the mm-hmm. giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and then there's ordinary time which just kind of whatever <laughs> just a great term but like it's this whole idea that we're in sync with the way that the world was made and and it aligns to the life of Jesus how is that not the right way to live sorry I kind of got on a hobby horse I guess or something I don't know a soapbox I've been on a soapbox lately <laughs> lately. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always on a soapbox, that's true. But back to your point, theologians are arguing about a lot of this, right? So people like Roger Bacon, people like Peter Abelard are arguing about, okay, how do we get in sync with the the year as God has intended it to be? How do we how do we go with that rhythm? And so yeah, they're they're marking off the days and the season. They're continuing to get more and more precise with it. And they start creating some really weird gadgets around it too, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So as I was doing research for this, I learned about this thing called the astrolabe. The what? The astrolabe. Okay. It's fascinating. It's an astronaut, but it's not. It's, it's an astrolabe. Yes, it's an astrolabe. It's like, yeah, I'm sure the astronauts use them though. <laughs> so think of sort of like a clock. It has a face like a clock, okay, and it has three gears. The gear around the outside actually marks the the twenty four hours. Interesting. And I'm, then I'm image searching this. And then right there's now. yeah, totally go Google image search it. It's really fascinating. And then watch a TED talk on it. That's what I did. Oh, which was nerdy and interesting and really geeky. And I Ooh. found an app in the app store for it, so you can actually use it yourself. Yeah, but these, <laughs> course, these I can't get Adam to install like. Regular apps, but of course he finds an app for an astrolabe. Dude, this thing looks amazing. It's got like, it's brass. It's got all these really weird rings that look like a spirals or yeah, something. Yeah, so it it basically orients you to the way that where the sun is going to rise and set, where the moon is going to rise and set based on the time of year, where all the constellations will be in the sky, where to look for them. It's really a fascinating device. I don't totally know how to use it, but... It was orienting the calendar, and it was a precursor that kind of gave birth to the modern clock. And it was this idea that the whole universe is sort of this mechanical world, and we can create a mechanism that tracks all of these movements. They're all moving in concert. And if you think about gears inside a clock that are moving, and they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it on uh, a much more precise, much more specific level... Well, my favorite part about that is <laughs> you getting you downloading an app that was archaic. It's an archaic app, <laughs> which seems true for you. It, oh, it's totally on point for me. <laughs> uh, no, that was a good episode. I like it, of course, when we do the history of technology episodes. Yeah. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. You limit me to one a season. What? what? And, <laughs> well, that was our rule for a while. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> like we can't, <laughs> we can't nerd out. <laughs> but I do like the history because I think it's really hard to understand the present unless you understand the past. Right. And I think how other people have reacted to technologies over time, which was a little bit maybe of that fear conversation but the way clocks got more and more precise and we went from the sun to hours to minutes to seconds Mm -hmm. to milliseconds Mm -hmm. has affected the way that we see the whole world even from the start of that clip where we're talking about being in rhythm dancing with the universe to to sort of the the end of the clip i use the term a mechanized universe that shift right that over time we went from sort of this 
organic metaphor to a very sort of inorganic mechanized metaphor you're saying i think yeah and the ways that even the tools we use to measure time frame the way we think about the world we think about the divine clockmaker and Mm -hmm. we use technology to frame how we think about the universe yeah being this mechanistic place or or it becomes our worldview yeah it becomes a way to to discern the world or talk about the world right the notion of our brains as computers is just this inadequate metaphor this inadequate analogy for thinking about what our brains are you know chugging through data that's just insufficient for thinking about what it means to be a mind and what it means to have a body and all these things the last thing I learned from that clip was that I pretend you teach me things, but I, then I forget them. Because in that clip, you said, oh, matins, the, the ancient Latin name for the for the for one of the prayer times, was where we got the name matinee from. And I, and, I, and like right here, as we were just listening to it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And on the on the actual episode, I said, oh, I didn't know that. So I guess I still don't know that. You, you hear me, but you just don't listen. I know, I just don't listen. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say this is a nice way to spend a 50th episode afternoon (laughs) with you going down memory lane. (laughs) We've spent a lot of afternoons together, and this was another one. Cheers to 50 episodes. Cheers to 50 more. Yeah, cheers to 50 more. Cheers to maybe 50 Patreon supporters. See how I slipped that in there? Ooh, yes. (laughs) But if folks are interested in Patreon, go check that out. Also, if folks like this, it's been really cool to get more listeners even this last season. Yeah. But maybe recommend it. Yeah. If one of these episodes was interesting to you and it made you think of someone, share it with them. Or if you just know, hey, my pastor would love this podcast, share that with somebody. That would be a great gift to us. Yeah, totally. Uh, I do think we have a five-star review rating, but we love a couple of fresh reviews, so go for that. If you want to listen to any of the full episodes of the clips, we'll link to them from the yep. show notes. And we'll have another episode coming in two weeks. We've got a lot of topics in the queue. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so. We've got a lot more time to spend together, Chris. And by the way, if we get Patreon members, one of the things we want to do with that is helping us pick our future topics. So join up and then help us choose what we talk about. Good to see you, man. It's good to see you too. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.